Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 298 of Cyclocross Radio. On this show, we're talking about mountain biking. It's World Cup mountain bike season. Round one was in Nova Mesto. Elizabeth, Zach, myself break down the races, and and this is how it. This is how this whole episode is going to unfold. We tried to keep it around an hour. I think we're at probably at around an hour 25 for this. There, There's way, way, way too much to talk about because we have a new broadcast partner in Discovery and we got changes that are going on there. We had uh, a, a new XCC standalone short track world cup competition that's worth talking about we had changes to the nova mesto track we had the xco races way too much to get into which means that we may have not talked about something that you thought was the most important thing about the weekend for instance great success for american racers in the uh junior u23 events didn't didn't really touch on that at all but it's not like we don't care it just didn't come up in our conversation with all of these topics and we're going to get to that conversation as soon as i tell you about hammerhead who once again is the sponsor for this episode i'm about to go out on a ride after i'm done editing this episode and if you could see my desk right now you'd see over to the right that uh, my crew 2 is updating the latest software to the unit and and the cool thing is is that the software upgrades continue to happen every other week you're getting an email saying hey your new software is available and they're updating the gps or updating the map functionality they're putting they're they're refining their hill climbing features everything that they do well in this computer they continue to build on there's no resting on their laurels and that's that's something that i like sometimes we get this technology that uh seems to just lay dormant and never change and then is just replaced wholesale in a couple years it seems like hammerhead is dedicated to continuing to update the 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 capabilities of the unit without charging you an extra price for it so definitely worth jumping into this crew to system just to to ensure that you're always getting the most up-to-date information if you buy one now and you use the promo code cx radio at checkout you can get a free heart rate monitor with your purchase but to do that you got to put into your uh, checkout cart you have to put the crew too also you have to put in the heart rate monitor and then you add the cx radio code and then you'll get that heart rate monitor at no extra cost hammerhead.com Io Go there, use the code CX Radio, put the heart rate monitor and the crew two into your cart, and you're all set. Cyclocross Radio is on the Wide Angle Podium Podcast Network, your home for independent cycling media. Sometimes I joke about us being independent cycling media, but it's really not a joke. There's not much of it left, and we thank you for your support 
to the network. If you want to become a member, if you want to support the shows that you listen to, go to WideAnglePodium.com. Hit the donate button. That'll bring up the membership page. And once you decide the amount that you are able to contribute, you will then be able to choose the shows that you want to support. We'd love for you to support Cyclocross Radio, but you can also support Criterium Nation or Grodio or Nowhere Fast or the Slow Ride Podcast. Every dollar that you give to the network allows us to continue to bring you all of these shows uh, on a wide variety of disciplines, and it's, it's keeping independent cycling media alive. Okay. It's episode 298 of Cyclocross Radio. We're talking about mountain biking, World Cup level mountain biking in Novo Mesto with Zach and with Elizabeth. And we're doing all of it right now. We are back in the media pit and uh it's mountain bike season, so that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, we have uh, Zach here, and we also have Elizabeth here. Elizabeth, good to see you again. Good to see you, too. It's good to be back in the media pit. Awesome. Always. And uh, we had the kickoff of the new... I don't know. Yeah, new. Things have changed. The, the beginning of the World Cup mountain bike series, we have a legitimate... XCC short track world cup series now. And then we also have our XCO races. Uh, we, before we hit record here, we were talking about where to start. There's so many different starting places. Zach, what did, what did we decide on? Uh, well, I thought we were going to talk about the changes. I mean, I think it was big news last year, mid year, it was announced that Red Bull, was not going to be the broadcast partner for the World Cup anymore. And I think people had really come to rely on high quality coverage that was free. You know, they really developed an excellent product. Bill, Elizabeth, you've talked at length about how they really kind of have changed during that time period what cross country racing is into a fine TV product. And we're like, are they going to be able to replicate this when it goes to Discovery Time Warner? Is that Warner Discovery? Isn't it like Warner Discovery Sports or something like that? Um, I, I think that was it. Discovery plus is in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Warner media for a lot of us without Rob Warner though, for a lot of us, it worked out well. We, a lot of us have GCN subscriptions. So fortunately, uh, I was looking into it. They're sweet. Was it their, oh, their, their portfolio of broadcast partners or broadcast platforms and GCN plus is on there. Um, but I, I was really unclear. They said they were going to broadcast it for free. Did they, did you guys find it on their YouTube site? I went there and I, I didn't see it. So I, I don't know. Well, in the U.S., I'm not sure. I was actually in Europe, and I was watching it on French TV, and it was free there. But anyway, I, I think you make a good point there, Zach, that we were all concerned that this was going to be something that we were going to have to pay for. It turns out it is something we have to pay for, but it's something that if you are a cyclocross fan worth anything, you already pay for it, right? You, you, you're already subscribing to GCN plus because that's where you're seeing most of your cyclocross races anyway. Yeah. And it wasn't, and it wasn't geoblock. So the universe worldwide, if you have GCN, so even if you have GCN for say the U S cup or not the U S cup, 
What are we? What's our psychic class here? USCX. <laughs> wow. It's the off season. Of all reasons to buy GCN Plus, that's that's uh, that'd be a surprising one. So let's get right into it then. Uh, just the app, uh, the if we're going to go media pit uh, style here, just the technical changes that you saw in the broadcast. I, I will start with this one caveat, and then we we can get into it. Uh, Nova Masto, I think, or what I've always seen, and just talking to some people sort of behind the scenes is a bit of an outlier as far as broadcasts go because they use this Czech team that isn't necessarily a lot of the other races may in the past for Red Bull had sort of this Austrian, you know, or what, wherever they're from crew that would come in and really set up and do the race in a similar way. And in the Czech Republic, it was always this Czech crew that was set up and, you know, I was just was fascinated because they, I didn't see it this year, but on, on one of the sections, they would set up like a movie dolly and they have a guy pushing the cart on the little train tracks, you know, that go across and that's where they're covered. And they had the huge quads and stuff like that. And some of that still existed. So I think from that standpoint, it's still going to be a little bit of wait and see. However, there were definite changes here. One big one that I'll let you all see if you bring it up and then I can chime in again. So Elizabeth, what do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean I was actually reading that the the Czech crew at Novomesto, it's a state-run television crew. So, you know, I mean kind of like places where you have union rules and you have to hire a specific tier of broadcaster. That's the case here. So you're likely to have people who are very familiar with and experienced with shooting at this venue. Um that said, I think even with that I missed some of the little artistic details uh, that were, I would say, features of the Novomesto race coverage in particular, like the pinecone art. Um, I missed seeing crowd shots. And I think that's going to be something that I anticipate will continue uh, at future events as well. Because having been at some of these, Red Bull had a ground crew doing that crowd footage. Um, and you didn't see much of that. Um, I think, you know, the drone coverage was excellent. Uh, that was a major step up. There was a lot more of it. Uh, however, we saw more of the front of the race and, and more of the track, which is great, um, but less of the deeper in the field um, or additional battles, as it were. So, you know, more of the leader or leaders, um, less of those shots where you get to see, you know, what's happening in 7th through 15th place. Um, and then not camera coverage per se, but the graphics have a long way to go. Uh, in my mind, to keep up with Red Bull. And I think the same thing there applies to, I found it exceptionally hard to follow what was going on except for the top few riders because you didn't have a ticker. You didn't have a graphic on the side showing those position changes. And I know you can pull that up on a computer and watch that feed from like a live timing, but it's not part of the broadcast. And I think Red Bull did that exceptionally well. Um, that said, I don't think any other bike racing does it as well as Red Bull did. So, you know, we'll see. But I feel like there's there's some catch up work to do when it comes to on screen graphics, um, even to get to sort of what I would consider an acceptable place. I also noticed the lack of 
the artistic stuff. I remember there was the one where they had like the pine cone. It was on one of the climbs in the foreground. And I, I definitely noticed that those were missing. And I, to the point that I'm glad that you did the research, because I just concluded that it wasn't the Czech crew that we were used to, because I think that's something that we've noticed in previous seasons, uh, that they do those things. Um, I think I agree with basically your three main points. Uh, it felt very not sanitized, but just a lot of focusing on the front of the race of providing kind of like, here, we'll cover the front. And it worked in this case because you had two two up battles, but like what was going on for third in the men's race? That was pretty, you know, that came down to a sprint and they basically was in the background. Like they kind of missed that there was a sprint occurring as if it was, you know, we see it in cyclocross, the sprint for 11th. You don't necessarily need to cover that, but like there was a sprint for the third. It was the third podium spot. A lot of random slow-mos. It was like great, you know, lots of just cutting to slow-mos during the action. Noticed that as well. And yeah, the graphics were terrible. Like it would, they would do top three. I was like, oh, cool. There's a third person in the lead group. Oh, no, 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 no. That's just, they were just doing the top three. It was actually right. Cause in the men's race, you kind of had like two, two, two. Like, oh, wow. Someone else is at the front. No. No, that we're just doing top three. <laughs> so I feel like that could have been better in terms of, you know, I think there were some times when they had like, all right, here's the chase group or whatever. Um, but yeah, Red Bull made it really easy to kind of follow what was going on. I think they just gave you more of the a sense of what was going on deeper in the field. They would focus, especially early in the race on climbs to let you know where folks are at because, you know, we're interested in like deeper down, like where are some riders, I think, you know, especially in the elite women's race, there were some people that we thought might be there and they were missing. You're kind of like, well, where are they at? I don't know. Where are they at? <laughs> um, <clears throat> or even where were they? You got like a little glimpse of it. Like we saw, luckily, in one of those uh, slow-mos, it just happened to be on Pauline, who was at the back of the field off of her bike because she got stuck in traffic having to run up. And you're seeing this, you know, what, like lap one or two. And this is somebody who's like, going to be fighting for the win by the end so that's pretty cool and that's the stuff that you're missing out on and it's actually essential parts of the race that aren't being shown the to go back to what elizabeth one one of the things that i did want to touch on is the use of the drone and it i thought there were some really good drone shots but it also worries me a little bit because i think drone coverage is a and we see this in the U.S. for a lot, you know, Zach, you were talking about the USCX coverage. It's a great Band-Aid when you don't have enough resources to cover a full venue. And my fear is that the more, you know, people looking after money figure out that we can have an FPV drone and another drone and we don't have to have stationary cameras then that's what we're going to have. And it's a cool look to get a perspective of what's going on. When they're on that main climb, not the main climb, when they're on that first section to get to the climbs and you see the whole group, great. I get an idea of what's happening in the race. But I don't want to stay there for like a whole minute. I want to actually see them come through. I want that stationary camera that's panning with them, that's doing exactly what y'all are talking about. Not only getting the front of the race, but staying on that shot and getting 10 through 15. But I think there were less of those cameras set up there weren't any cameras on the final set of rocks sort of technical feature before they went before they went to the um to the jumps and back into the venue 
that was gone. So that, those are the type of things that I think they were replacing with the drone. So that that worries me a little bit if that continues. Like drones are awesome. I love them. I love the coverage, but it should complement it. It should not replace something else. And then just the last note on the the graphical stuff. I think y'all are absolutely right. And Elizabeth, I think we're, we're what again to concern troll a little bit. It's going to be really interesting when we see that first downhill race because that's where Red Bull destroyed on the the graphics. It was the most like you could sit anybody in front of a downhill race, which on its face it's like okay, go down the hill the fastest. That's it. But once you get into it, it's like I don't know what's going on here. I don't know where anybody is. And Red Bull was like, hey, here's the green sections that this guy's going faster. Here are the red sections. Hey, let's put the leader and this guy together to see exactly where they are compared to each other. And it was amazing. So that's that's where I think we're going to see how much work Discovery has to do to to match the IP that, that uh, Red Bull had. Yeah. I mean, that was a masterclass in data visualization uh, in live broadcast. And... It's I, I share your concern, Bill. <laughs> so we talk about uh, Nova Masso. So I, here's, um, I, I, I think we should break up the the changes to the course into two different sections. Let's just start talking about the short track now, and then we can uh, come back later and and talk about the course changes for the cross country. I, I think the biggest one that affected both races is that. Since I've been watching Nova Mesto, you would come down the finishing stretch, and if you were sitting in the stands, you were going right to left down there. They've reversed that, so now you're going the opposite way. That's, and I think we can talk more about that in the cross country. But for the short track itself, you know, Elizabeth, you and I were sort of chatting about this beforehand. Just it seems like every year this track has changed. Like it started wide open, but they had these weird jumps in it at the bottom, sort of in that boggy section that we don't even go to anymore. Then it became a more technical thing, I think during the pandemic and now back to wide open racing. Yeah. um, And I think, you know, to, uh, to quote our friend, Tom Pidcock, uh, if you want to sprint finish, make the course like this and it'll happen. Um, because it was it was a pack race all the way through, and I think you know he he was sort of snarkily making a comment about all the technical features being removed, or basically all of them, if you don't count the escalator descent. Um, why that's called an escalator, I'm not quite sure. Uh, but but yeah, I think you know this is this is now gone fully in the direction of um, of dirt crit, which is you know, again, is fine. This is an ongoing media pit uh, discussion about what makes for good short track racing or a good short track course. Um, It's interesting that they've played so much with tweaking it in part because they have the option to. I think some other venues are a little bit more limited in what they can do. The ones that are at ski resorts, like downhill ski resorts, like you're either going to have to go further up the mountain or get really, really, really creative in what you've got right next to your village. Um, So, yeah, I think it's uh, they have more room to play. And I'm curious to see if they'll change anything up next year, especially with, you know, the man born to mountain bike himself saying that, you know, you get what you get if this is the course you make. 
but he's only out here to do it for fun. Zach, you've gone through the biggest short track journey of all of us. Uh, I think in, in what you preferred and what you liked and didn't like over the years, where are we at on Nova Mesto? That's a good question. Um, I guess I was, I wanted to read a tweet from uh, Jeff Kabush, uh, one of our favorite Canadian, he may be our favorite Canadian, definitely not second favorite. Um, but he said, I like seeing an open short track course, which makes it exciting and fair depending on wherever you start. But I would love to see more corners change in pace to encourage some attacks with constant high speed Saving energy for the last lap sprint was inevitable today. I agree with that. But at the same time, like you guys have gotten me to come around to just the tactical sense. Like you knew it was going to be high speed. And so although it's really bunching up, I mean, I think we all came to the conclusion that this was like a dirt crit. The word we all used was criterium for this. Uh, you know, it was like eight across at the front, but yeah, I mean, in, in that last lap, you had to be at the front because pace was going to get insanely high and you weren't coming around if you weren't top five wheels. So to, to me, that made the last few laps of racing kind of compelling. I was compelled in the last lap. I mean, it didn't have those features, but it was still exciting. Uh, and like you said, with the change with the, the corner, it was going to come down to a sprint and it was even positioning going into that. Uh, finishing sprint was important. So I, I enjoyed it, but definitely see where Jeff Kabush came from because you could kind of fast forward. I When we talked about putting stuff on in the background, I was at work and I was just listening. I was like, okay, all right, we're at the second to last lap. All right, let's, let's tune in now. Well, even to the point that, you know, like Albstadt, I, I, I think that's maybe my favorite short track. And it's something that has wide open sections, super wide, but you always know once you go over the flyover that you have this this climb that's going to go almost a single track and then a little descent and then it's going to open up again. So the strategy is to make sure you're in the right position for that one section every lap. And I, I think that's perfect. You know, it's not super technical, but it's enough technical that you have to be thinking. Where if we look at the men's race, when we just talk about the men's race first, Tom Pitcock, you know, Bart's like, well, he's out of it because he's last. And, and he was last until like lap eight of 10. And then all of a sudden he's fifth. And, and he's like, he hasn't even started a ride yet. He's just sort of chilling out in that pack. And then he can just like, you know, we talked about in the past years. And I think even at Alpshot, we were like, Pitcock is a master of being able to, to, to be, you know, swim upstream in in a pack and able to find himself and pick up five spots here and five spots there when you can go eight ten wide on a course he didn't it, it wasn't very hard for him to get where he needed to be in those last couple laps so again i think it's it may also be him that he's just has that great skill but this course definitely played into his ability to get to the front when he needed to well it reminds me of uh, Kevin Bouchard Hall uh, has always told this story of his dad went to a criterium to watch him race a crit and he was charting every lap where Kevin was, what place he was in. <laughs> and so after the race, his dad shows it to him and Kevin's like, yeah, that, that, that's not how it works. And just listening to you, that just, it seems like, you know, Pitcock understood that, that it's not really where it's at. Once you see it's going to bunch up as long as you don't get dropped, like it's pretty easy uh, to move up. So Especially Elizabeth, what it was I think it was that either lap eight or lap nine, everybody just took their took their feet off the off the gas. So then it was even easier because it just like yeah. all came back together. 
Well, I have to uh, give credit to this uh, to my husband and not me, but it's the perfect comparison. Um, this was a Red Bull Fox Chase event. Like Red Bull sends their Red Bull athlete to sit off of the back, tail gun in and chase down a field of, in this case, not amateurs, actual pros. Um, but I mean, like, literally, he's he's doing the old, like, was it, um, who was it, Mark McCormick, who would sit off the back of the start of a crit and, like, just be like, oh, I'll let the field go and, like, any of that riffraff sort itself out and then I'll go and then win and work my way through everything. And, yeah, I mean... He also didn't find out he was racing until like three hours before the race and went for like a three hour training ride in the morning and then was like, oh, cool. I I qualified for a spot. So I'm lining up way in the back. Might as well line up off the back. And I've seen this course, by the way, I'm going to win. More. Here's your question for you, Zach. Pidcock getting into the short track more or less precarious than Pidcock going to the Olympics. I, who are we depending on? Did you research this? Is this a is this a segue to do research on who who didn't participate? It's Andre Sink got sick. Well, it was Sink, and it wasn't a correct, not correct. Who was the other? Was somebody else had to drop out too? Right, right. Because, which is why Sam Gaze was in, right? Right. Because wasn't Gaze also not in, or was it that Gaze? gets an automatic in because he's the world champ. No, I Gaze, was confused about that because the, the one of them had number plate forty one. Gaze was out okay also so i'm assuming two people were um dropped out but sync definitely was the one yeah so they needed two people to drop out because you got to be in the top 40 pitcock only races mountain biking for fun so he doesn't have any points from last year to be able to be in that top 40 and be eligible to race it but it's crazy you have two guys to i don't know what we call sam gaze at this part he's Kind of a road racer, kind of a mountain biker. He's he's a bike. But the short point, track right? world champion. He but the short, the track, short world track world champion. Because you know he crashed out Chris Blevins. But you know that's that's the whole. I know he did. But uh. <laughs> I will say this, I guess, about short track racing, and um, I I talked about this in what I wrote at the bulletin about how you know uh, Gwendolyn Gibson was doing really well in short track. Uh, she didn't really have the best weekend this weekend, but man, if she could race cross and. I I don't know if the comp is really there. It's just it you know Jeff Kabush got this to this with his comments, but it's it's really about creating tactical moments. And it just seems like short track racing is more about tactics than being able to ride like cyclocross. And that's the thing that's dawning on me. And clearly, if you read my post at the bulletin, that was really what this weekend was about. Was about you know tactical decisions and. You know, we sleep on Pitcock. I think everyone kind of sleeps on him a little bit because he's not wowed or mature or whatever. But dude is a brilliant bike racer. I mean, just watch watch the lines he takes to pass those five guys at a time. You know, everyone will be going inside and he'll just be like, oh, I'm just going to go outside and pass like eight of you. You know, and it's it's super fun to watch. And I think we sleep a little bit on how intelligent of a bike racer is he is. And, you know, I think we saw that in in both races from him this weekend. Was it last season? Who was Schwartzbauer the guy who won here last year? So I think Schwartzbauer got uh, a little hubris there, I think, and thought that he could just lead from the front again and ride everybody off. And I think it, when it came to it, in the end, Gaze and Pidcock were both like, oh, cool, the big man's just going to 
going to do this for us and, and we can hang out. And I think that he thought that he could get to the end and do that. And I think that this is actually where that finish was a dis the change in the finish was a disadvantage for Schwartzbauer, who was like huge, powerful guy who was able to use that big long sprint to win last year. This year, with the the change in the course, like it used to be you'd come over the over the bridge and you just sprinted forever. Uh, but then you had when it wasn't a sprint, you had this really tight 180 turn on asphalt, which we in the past have referred to as Evie's corner because she slipped out, crashed there, still got up and won short track back years ago. But it was always something that people were like, I, I don't think any rider liked that corner, especially when you got those low, low pressure. If there's any you know, moisture on the ground, which there usually is in the Czech Republic. You just, you can't take that fast. So they, they got rid of that term, but they still have a 180. It's much gentler, but it's, but it's one that you have to still scrub a ton of speed coming into it. And then once you're out of that, it's not a very long sprint. It's like hundred meters maybe to the finish and you're done. So at the end of these races, we always talk about the sprint before the sprint. It was obviously before that bend, but for Pidcock, and I think he played it right, we're still talking about the men's race, it was where? Was it beginning of that climb, middle of the climb? Where did he actually make that move? Because he knew he had to be in the in the front coming around that last turn. Did, did nobody else know that? I mean, the same could be said about the finish before the finish in the elite, in the elite race with Dubois, but wasn't it, I think it was like towards the top of the climb, uh, where he came around because I mean Schwartzbauer was really going, <laughs> going at it, you know, and I think Pidcock, to his credit, like he has that extra gear where yeah you can be going at it and he'll kind of pull around, you know, one extra gear at the top of these climbs um, that he was he was able to do. Um, but I is that a good segue to the women, the elite women's race then yeah. that you know we talk about? I mean a lot happened, but in the sprint. There's enough room to sprint. It wasn't it wasn't a 50 meter finish at least. You know, one of those ones where there's zero chance of coming around. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot closer and I think you know, in that instance, I mean, Stiger played the race very very well. Uh and it was very close. Um and I think, you know, we didn't necessarily I I was I did not think coming out of the last corner that I knew who was going to win. But she wasn't first wheel, wasn't Keller the first? No, oh, she. Yeah, she no no Stigger was not first wheel coming out of the last turn. Did do you think that was positioning? Do you think because if and I, I may be wrong here, but didn't Keller sort of hug the outside barrier yeah. and sort of left that inside open? Yeah, I think it was just that essentially the 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 parabola or the line they took through the turn. And set Stigger up to sprint faster than Keller did, meaning, you know, likely if you want to get into the physics of it that I probably shouldn't go into because I don't understand well enough to do so. But it looked like Stigger was able to sprint faster than Keller just because Keller probably came in with a little bit more speed, uh, but Stigger could exit with more speed. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know. In that case, again, tactically very well played because she was able to deliver 
the sprint that got her across the line first, but not by even a full bike length, I don't think, or maybe a full bike length, but that was about it. So much closer, which is, I think, in a in a finishing straight that's that tight, you don't have as much room to play with. Um and and I think you know you don't you don't have as much room to get up to a full speed sprint either. And that's a great observation though, because I think with the way it works is it was grass to pavement and it was wet. So it rained on Friday and it kind of created a a decision, right? Like you have to make a decision of how close do I want to cut this because you can easily envision someone cutting it too tight and just slipping out. And I just watched the men's race and it was interesting that, you know, Pidcock went wide, but Schwartzbauer also did. But, you know, he was able to get into his sprint relatively quickly, but he still opted for that kind of wider. I'm pointing with my hand, <laughs> trying to do the wider the wider outside line. So, you know, it was a little bit of a gamble, perhaps, that, that Steger made to take a little bit of a closer line and end up paying off. But with that transition, she equally could have just like eaten it and ended up on the ground and caused a, a massive wreck. So, uh, I don't know. You like to see that. Like uh, you love to see people take chances and make gambles and have it, you know, pay off sometimes. And this is maybe a, a, a segue of multiple sorts, but I think to go into another sort of tech zone, Stiger and also Martin Vidare in the men's race were both on the new specialized World Cup bike that looks very hardtaily um, and did well in short track, but then transitioning over to the cross-country race did not perform as well as their teammates who were uh, apparently still on or on the Evo with a lockout or the old school Epic with the a little bit more suspension and travel. So I think that's like maybe an interesting nugget is that like potentially a more hard tail like bike served Stigger well in this. Um, also knowing that she was one of those real holdouts who raced on a hard tail, like pretty much all of her junior and U23 career. Um, so just another, it was also just an interesting observation. I know, you know, Followers of Dan Chabanoff will know that he was also commenting on this like choice of of bike um, for the specialized riders and whether or not they're on the new bike. Um, I was curious on whether you know what level of agency the athletes themselves had in making that choice, um, but I you know notable that they both did well in short track but not as well in cross country. Let's here's here's the segue into this. Let's just stick with specialized for a second on the on the women's side. So in in the past, Elizabeth, you have talked about the uh, teamwork between Kate Courtney and Annika Langved in the in the short track races, which I always thought was kind of there, but maybe not at the level that was publicly portrayed. I think Specialized has like a legit short track squad on the women's side this year. It's it's pretty cool to watch between Steger, Cena Frey, and Haley Batten, all like super strong short track racers. I mean, Cena Frey won the first ever short track world championship. Steger showed that she can do it here. We've seen Batten win these in the past. I, I think it's I think it's pretty it's it almost reminds like we should get Rob Kelly on here talking, you know, just starting up a little crit beef with the dominant specialized factory racing women. 
I mean, they got all three of them on the front row for Sunday. Like yeah. all three of them were in the top eight. Like that's an impressive performance. Also notable in there, uh, Pauline Ferrand Prevot. The last time I saw Pauline Ferrand Prevot, I was stationed two thirds of the way up the Copenberg climb, watching her push her bike up the hill after it completely failed and then unable to do anything in cyclocross and then pretty much quitting the sport, you know, a couple races later and thinking, oh boy, what's going to happen to Pauline this year? I, I think just from seeing the the short track, we learn, don't worry, no, no concern trolling needed here. I think Pauline's going to be just fine for a uh, mountain bike season. And then right after her, Evie Richards also, you know, putting in an Evie-esque uh, show that I think that is, for me personally, really, really cool to see. I always love it when Evie's going well and just looking from this. And then we'll talk about the, the cross-country race. Also, I think we, we are looking at an on-form Evie, which is going to be super interesting to watch. Yeah, and she said she's happy, which is great. When she's happy, she races well. She said she's happy she raced well. Uh, so I got a text on on Sunday night, and uh, uh, friend of friend of all things, Jeremy Blake Peshkin, he asked, "Is Evie Richards back?" And I, I I would say yes, but I felt like she was only injured for one year, and then I, I'm going to embarrass Jeremy, but he was like. He's like, I feel like she hasn't been going well for a while. And I was like, dude, she won Worlds in 2021. He's like, oh, okay. All right. Okay. So, like, I don't know. I'd get your guys' opinion. Like, is it, does that qualify? I feel like one year off doesn't really qualify as being back, especially when you're injured the way she was with the low back injury. I mean, it's not, it's, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not like, it's not like, yeah. Do you want to see your? It's almost like you can't lose your starting job if you're injured. Is is that the is that the the policy we're going to go under for this? So she can't she can't be back if she was never gone because of the injury. Yeah, I think I think so. And I mean, she didn't have like a major lull. Like there was a very like concrete explanation for why last year was so bad. You know, it wasn't three years in the wilderness or or something like that. So I I don't know. I would say that. <laughs> uh, I mean. It's great. I think there was some hints from that race before that everyone did, and she kind of crushed it. But yeah, I, I, I didn't necessarily think she's just kind of back where we expected or where she was. I mean, I think the one the one note is like, yes, definitely, you know, the injury. Um, but I think that's not the only thing that has plagued Evie. Uh, you know, she has been pretty transparent about having additional health challenges and you know just challenges in in balancing life and and bike racing and so you know i think not to be an arbiter of backness um but i think it's you know i think credit where credit is due this wasn't as this wasn't just as simple as a back injury and i don't think it was a foregone conclusion that she would recover from injury and come back in good form um so i think it's really great to see that she was looking good racing well um and and again happy and i think like it's been 
it's been really, I, I think, really important how transparent she has been about her sort of mental disposition when it comes to being an elite athlete and and racing, and that that's an important factor, um, that if she's not having fun, not having a good time, and not feeling happy, that it really impacts her, um, and that that you know, means that she needs to go home and be around her family. Like, I think that's super important. It's something that more athletes need to talk about um, because it gets bad and then they don't and then they leave the sport forever. Um, so to me, yeah, it's a little more con- a little more nuance, I guess. Sure. And, and she made that decision you know, years ago and that kind of led to her greater success when she sort of removed herself a little bit or backed away from the British cycling program and moved back home and was able to, you know, control her own training and be in a place that she was more comfortable. For our cyclocross friends out there, Puck Peterson qualifying to, for short track. Uh, Femme Van Ample didn't. So that was that was an interesting note just on how their mountain biking went last season. And... Puck was able to get herself a, a front row start for for the 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 um, XCO race, so that that also will uh, will play into uh, I think a good transition. We have we have we done short track? Seamless. <laughs> let's uh, let's do it. Let's start. Let's talk about this uh, women's cross country race, and they women got the better weather. Is that is that fair? Mm-hmm. You know, definitely got a, a, a drier track to go on. Uh, and yeah, first impressions. What did y'all think about this race? Oh, it was so fantastic. It was just so good. Uh, all around. I think, you know, it It really, it's been a long off season and I'm happy that we're all back. Um, no, it was it was a great race. I think start to finish, I think we had... Uh, and it really exciting dynamics. I didn't don't feel like there was ever a lull in the action, and things stayed uh, as Zach so well put it in the anything can happen zone basically the whole time. Um, I think I was just rewatching the last couple of laps and I, how close third place was to catching first and second in that last lap even like never close enough that it happened but close enough that a tiny mistake could have made it happen and like fourth and fifth weren't far behind that either um you know it was it was just it was super super exciting uh and uh, it, it really just really fun to watch and as a puck peters is super fan i'm super excited <laughs> Yeah, I think that uh, I'm not going to be presumptuous and people assume that read what I wrote for the bulletin. But I mean, the race that it reminded me of was Havra from the men in terms of the use the word dynamic. And I there's just, you know, I think we had this argument at the, the end of the year about Huger Haida versus Degum. Sorry, it was Degum, not Havra, Degum. And that was kind of the argument that we were having. And, you know, my case for Degum was that it was so dynamic and like that this race was constantly in flux. You could tell telling the story. If I'd done a race report, you could write a novel about this race and just like the different aspects of it and the different things occurring. And, you know, we, the, the anything can happen moment, but, you know, Puck and 
Pauline keeping it there for like Evie basically Evie just has one speed like as as hard as I can go and they did everything they could to keep it in that that zone to not let it become 45 seconds a minute uh to where that mechanical could have still kept her in the lead or whatever so yeah Elizabeth you know I I mean I I don't want to like I'm bad at remember we've established I'm just bad at misremembering mountain biking but this feels like one of the better races that I've watched yeah in recent memory. Oh, it was because we had the Luana LeCompte years for, the, you know, where it was like she would go out and have a two minute lead. I, I know that wasn't every race. And we had some comp- more competitive races, but there definitely were ones where it was just, and we may see that again once we get to the more climbing courses. One thing that should be noted, especially for cyclocross radio, is that Nova Mesto is kind of the, the, the cyclocross racers' playground. You know, we'll get into that how the, the results turn out, but it's also just how it sets up. There are no there are hard climbs, but there are no sustained climbs. Like that middle climb is amazing and it's over under two minutes. You know, they're up it and they're done and it's steep and it's really, it's a, it's a, just a long power climb. And that's how that, and then the second climb is just a really technical Rudy climb, but there's nothing like what we're going to see in Andorra where they're just going straight up a fire road for like five minutes you know that 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 doesn't happen out here so i think it's it it sort of plays to these power power and descending skills are the things that really help you on this course and i think you can really one of my favorite things to watch in this and we saw a lot on the women's fields is you can see the the disparity of skill you can see evie you can see haley coming down a hill and if they made mistakes going up it they're erasing those mistakes on the descent pauline's the same way she just crushes on these these descents the beginning of the race i think the you know speaking of haley great start for her it was really really promising faded a little near the you know once it got into it but was up there from the beginning but the person that you know, we talked about in the short track, and then again here, Evie really just was on the front of this race or near the front of this race from the beginning. And 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 what I wanted to get to once we got to the short track talking about her is if you go back to her previous result this season, it was that race in Chur Coor. in Switzerland. Thank you. Say it again. Coor. Coor. Everyone's there. It's She's not racing the B team here. She beats Pauline and the rest of the field by two minutes. Like, this woman is on form. And I think that she was going to do the same thing at this race before she had that flat. And to be able to have a flat like that, we're in the, you, you know, <laughs> we're in the through axle... <laughs> generation here the the it's still it's much faster than it was year one of through axle changing a rear tire but it's still not super fast you lose that 30 40 seconds there and then you have to get your momentum and fight back and you know you all were referring to that that fight for third place coming up it's just i think without that without that mechanical again i mean we don't know but i just think i think that if she keeps this form we have we have something special to watch for evie in these upcoming races yeah, she apparently turned out the fastest laps of the day, not for herself, for anyone in the last two laps. Again, the kind of data we miss, not having the Red Bull graphics, I'm just going to say. But uh, 
yeah, she, you know, I think having having seen that race in Coor, I went into watching this thinking Evie was going to likely going to walk away with this. And, you know, and, and, and while, you know, to their credit, Pauline and Puck kept it close, I don't think they would have closed it down um, had it not been for her flat. Yeah, I, ju- I just pulled up the core uh, results. So Evie won by two minutes, and then it was a really good race. You had right. Pauline, Cena Frey, Alexander Keller, Laura Steger, and Anna Terpstra, Yolanda Neff, all, all fighting out together in this lead pack. But it was like they were in a different race. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, that, that was so impressive. And then just to see her kind of do it again and then just have some bad luck. But all beside the point, Zach, let's talk about what actually did happen at the front. Well, I was going to say, I feel like that we've gotten this far, and I think a lot of people should expect us to be just losing our shit over Puck Petersa. But I think it just kind of tells you how cyclocross season went, that we kind of expect it, <laughs> and we're not surprised. I mean, I will. I was looking at the results. I'm pretty sure that she was finishing behind Lene Berkquia. Oh. Mm-hmm. Lene. We'll just leave it at Lene the Oh, I can't even say her first right first name right. I mean, she wasn't necessarily crushing it and standing out at the the U twenty three level. Um, for me, you know, talking about Evie off the front, the moment for me was maybe the second lap when she was in the chase and she sees Evie going, and I think she's you know, I think I talked a lot about her tactical sense. I think she's a brilliant tactical bike racer. She had the sense that like, hey, we need to do something here and we can't be playing for a second. And she just kind of dropped everyone. And to me, it just seemed like that was probably a huge moment for her in that race to be like, oh, oh, I'm I'm stronger than all these other riders. (laughs) Uh, You know, and again, I think that her and Pauline both that moment, I think they did a good job kind of like trading leads. It wasn't like, oh, you're going to do all the work. It's like we're going to try to keep the pace high, whether that be you know, descents or the climbs or whatever. They also did that once they had a gap and Luana LeCompte was coming through the field or whatever. So I thought they did a great job. I I just, I I wrote about it. So, you know, Elizabeth, I want to hear your thoughts because it was just a masterclass from from Puck Peterson. It was fantastic. And so I, when I was in Lenzerheide last year, I actually got the chance to interview Puck when it was uh, looking pretty, pretty clear that she was going to wrap up second place in the U23 series. Um, Really consistent performer in the U23s, but, you know, last year she was doing a consistent mountain bike season and gearing up for what we then saw turned into one heck of a cross season. Um, And now it feels like going back, like, aha, maybe that heck of a cross season was also leading us to one heck of a mountain bike season coming up. Um, So, you know, I think I am uh, delighted and not surprised, though, at the same time, um, you know, wasn't expecting that necessarily her Brit, her first elite World Cup would result in a win. Um, pretty excellent that it did. Um, but I think we saw some of the same tactical brilliance that she has in cyclocross. Um, tactical and technical combined uh, come through in this race. So there were a few times, for example, there's the... Uh, an uphill rock garden in this course that is short but decisive um, based on how you approach it. So a lot of riders, you see this in both the men's and the women's race, are kind of going to the right and making a little bit of a kind of going up to the side and then they have to kind of turn and it's a little bit of an easier line. Um, But you have to get it right. 
and and Pauline is doing that. And at one point, it, Puck just gives her space. She just kind of sits up and pauses like a very seasoned mountain bike racer, knowing that, you know what, I'm going to give myself a clean line through this because I'm not sure if she's going to F this up. And so Puck just pauses. And I think if you don't know that that's what's happening, it looks like, oh, gosh, has she lost it? Has she, like, lost her mojo, dropped her momentum? But no, she's just taking a moment to pause. And then she beautifully clears this rock garden, taking a more challenging and more direct line, but not messing anything up and not getting jammed up because the person in front of her did. Is um, this the Shimano climb you're talking about? Yeah, first, first I believe one. so. Yeah. It's the climb where you go through, you have sort of a narrower pinch point yeah. through the trees and you have the, the rocks that were in the men's race looked like an ice rink uphill with lumps. Um, glacier field, I don't know what you want to call this, but it looked horrible. It looked absolutely horrible. Um, you know, to 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 jump ahead because we're talking about the same feature in the men's race, Joshua Dubow takes a much more direct line up the rocks, which is harder, but he gets it consistently. Whereas, like a lot of the men taking that right line are slipping out because I think there's just a little bit more of an angle to some of those rocks, and it's a little bit more difficult. But anyway, I just I just wanted to to clarify that because what you're saying with her pausing there, what. What you lose, we always talk about this on TV, is it, it, having been there, you don't know. That's a, it's a super steep section. I mean, it's so not steep. long, but it's like, it's a rock garden, but it's also all uphill. And it's something that even in dry conditions, you'll see it in the men's and women's races throughout the, the years that it's, it's something that you may, you have to be prepared to get off and you may dismount because you can't, you just can't get it wrong. So for her to actually take the time almost stop and then be able to start again and have that momentum and have that traction and weight distribution to do that is is just pretty incredible. It's so impressive. And I think, I mean, you see also, you know, there's a pretty distinct difference in cadence um, during a lot of the race between Pauline and, and Puck, where Puck is following the Yolanda Neff school of spinning and Pauline is in a bigger gear. And I think on some of these climbs, some of these routes and technical features, you know, that sort of ability to apply pressure and weight effectively in a smaller gear to be able to react and adjust, um, that serves Puck really well and also, you know, reduces the amount of fatigue. And I think that's decisive in the final lap where she, you know, times the attack brilliantly. Wonder if there was a little uh, teammate influence from the Matthew Vanderpool, Nino Schurter, Novomesto feed zone attack drama of whatever year that was. Uh, but she times the attack really well, but then she has something left in it to keep pushing over the technical features where Pauline is kind of caught off guard, is in a bigger gear and is, is not spinning through that and able to close that that down. So, I mean, also, I mean, that is the puck empties the tank in that last half of a lap. Uh, and 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 really, you know, you can see like these small decisions like it's when she crosses from the rough surface onto the pavement going into the finish, she turns it up another notch, like really pushes down, really sprints even harder. Um, and, and she's just like 
collapses after the finish line. Uh, at when it just kind of sinks in, like, whew, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, hell of a story. Yeah, I think I think you're right. In that. I think Vanderpool back in I don't know if it was twenty, two thousand twenty, two thousand nineteen, somewhere around there. He he kind of showed the revealed the the cheat code for for Nova Mesto. We talk about again. We we're talking about the sprint before the sprint. He basically said the sprint before the sprint before the sprint before the sprint is in tech zone two. And that's where you go and that's where you attack. Because if you're in front for that technical descent, you basically, you know, if you're in front for the BMX section and then all the technical descents, you basically can can take it from there. And that's, uh, you know, Puck did a little variation on that. She waited till she went through the tech zone and then attacked. The one, the one, and I think, I'll bet, no, I won't bet. I don't know. Here's a speculation that the reason that she possibly waited longer or could have waited longer is that when Vanderpool did it, it was, I think with the expectation that Nino's going to take a drink, he's going to get a bottle. And if I'm attacking at that point, I have that advantage of him having to deal with his bottle and me also going. If we talk about one of the changes at this, this course and there was a bit of a UCI rule change with tech zones and I, which I don't, understand the language completely but basically it's saying that you only need to have one tech zone in an xco race this year although two are recommended and a double pit much like what we see in cross is really recommended that's what they want they want to have two two feed and tech zones all in the in the same area nova mesto's never been like that it's always been two separate feed and tech zones for this race, and under the rule, the way I read it, this you can do this. I never knew this was in the rules. You can determine that one of those tech zones is tech only. Like you only need one feed zone. You only have to offer riders one feed zone. For Nova Mesto, they moved tech zone one, which I think now technically is two. So I think. Tech zone yeah. one actually became tech zone two. Now it's sort of leapfrogged over because that's right around the corner from the finish line. That is in the infield of the biathlon arena. That's where tech zone two now is. And the old tech zone two, which is tech zone one, is still up on the hill. They restricted the hill one, the attack one, to tech only. So you couldn't, it was basically, it was a non-factor. It's like it didn't exist unless you had a mechanical. The only reason that was there was if you had a mechanical. If you didn't, you couldn't get a drink. You couldn't get gels. You couldn't get dunkers. You couldn't get anything. You just rode through. So she really could choose anything there where to attack because the speed, the pace was not going to slow down, down at all with the anticipation of somebody getting a bottle. And she attacks at the steepest part. She's yeah. So she waited until she was through it, and then right near the top of the hill, that's where she she went and made that move. Well, our, I mean, so did Pitters. Our cyclocross friends got the note. I think they listened to the media pit, and they've heard Bill talk about the finish before the finish for a long period of time. But I mean, I think that was just kind of like the coup de grace that she understood that because you're right it was like a super high speed descent but then it went into that single track climb where the only way you're getting around someone is if they completely biff and basically get off their bike like there was one line yeah through that and then once you get to the top it's just kind of like well once you get to the top of that yeah it is just a 
put your brakes away. You don't need them for the rest of the race, and you're just bombing down that hill. There's no attacking then. And then it just goes into tight single track again. Um, Zach, thoughts on them uh, cutting out the pump track? <laughs> I... Do we really pump need pump track? track? <laughs> it always felt. It always. What pump I don't know. Track? It's always felt a little, a little superfluous. It did. It always. So that was, I always thought it was a momentum killer. You came through this. People were just like flying down this hill. They were going through the little ACDC section, and then it was like whoop, 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 and then they had to get out of that little asphalty, you know, a bike park section, and then get back on the gas. They took that completely away. I, I think because that. They couldn't include that and still have the reroute for the new finish. So that's why that, that went away. But you still had your two jumps. Uh, when we get to the men's race, we know we're already over an hour. How much do we really need to talk about the men's race? Pitcock was, didn't, didn't do any zero whips until the end. He was like, I needed to do one for the people. Puck did a whip, too. It was a little <laughs> she one, did. but she yeah. did it. <laughs> there was one other thing uh, about Puck that I found interesting and I thought was brilliant in the end of lap four, speaking of the feed zone, she literally let herself get dropped. And I, you know, at the time you're like, oh, well, that was, she had a good run, you know, our our kid did good. Now we have to worry about Luana Lecomte coming up, you know, um, I, it, it, that's just what I say. Like the the levels of intelligence as a bike racer. She's 21 years old, which we looked up after the podium. <laughs> Both Michael and I looked that up uh, to make it was okay that she was chugging the champagne on the podium. But like to understand that you're at your limit, and when you're at your limit, you're not going to win the race. Yeah, you could stay there till the end, but she let just enough go. And you know, I think we've all been there where when you're at limit, sometimes if you can just ride at a little bit of a lower pace, you can get the second wind. She also understood that she only had the finish before the finish left in her. You know, she didn't attack on climb one. She didn't attack on climb two. And that's all you need. I it just the levels of brilliance of for a 21 year old bike racer tactically in this race was just incredible. And that was one other little piece um, that was perhaps the most intelligent thing that she did all race. Yeah, I, I think it's I mean, to have a feed zone that you have to exit the course for is also different in mountain biking. I mean, that is this is new. This adds a layer of decision making and tactics to how you deal with the race. I was nervous for a lot of the racers that they would forget that they would get caught up in the action and forget to eat and drink because apparently I'm a mom um, and not actually a mother, but this is how I think. Um, and and I think, you know, that was ex exactly right, Zach. Like, that was a really smart moment from Puck of saying, like, I need to take this feed. I need to take this moment here and get myself hit that reset button and then work my way back up. And she doesn't rush to work her way back up, but she sure does pretty efficiently close a seven-minute gap on, oh, I don't know, the world champion – um, and, and then is in the right place at the right time. And I think that last, that last technical climb, she was better at than Pauline. So she knew not only because finish before the finish, but because on that climb in particular, she was going to be able to put, turn the extra screws on Pauline a little bit there 
and and secure the advantage, even if the attack in the tech zone didn't fully stick. Yeah, and that's that's the, that that's what's even more impressive, and that's what it, we always see. That's hard to do coming from U23 to elites. We look, we see it in cyclocross. We also see it in mountain biking. It's that last 10 minutes, that last 15 minutes. And for her to still have that at the end of the race is, is super impressive. When we look at, you know, we were looking at the U23 results from last year, our Chilean star who, you know, was, was great U23. What I name, I can't, I can't remember. Martin Vidare. Yes. Uh, he was 22nd in the men's elite race, which was an awesome result. That's what you expect from your, from your U23 graduates. But, you know, Puck's just on a different level. But I, I do want to just back up a little bit because I had this long-winded explanation about the different tech zones. But Elizabeth brought up a good point is that the biggest change to that for the feed is that, you know, like she said, Everybody used to go through the feed zone and it was chaos, complete chaos. And you needed a, like, you look at the, the swan yours and the mechanics and everybody that's doing the work for these riders, they're amazing. A, that they're able to spot their racers, give them two feeds within 50 meters, and then also not be in the way of anybody else. It's just, it's, it's crazy. It's one of my favorite parts of the race not really there anymore now. So I think because of that chaos, and we'll see to the, maybe the betterment of the sport or not, you now have a, much like cyclocross, if you just go straight, nothing can happen there. You know, you're just riding, you're just riding straight through the tech and the feed zone. If you go to lane two, that's open for feed. So you go in there and you go, and this is where it's different than cyclocross. You have to go to lane three to actually get your bike fixed. So the mechanics and the swan years are not competing with each other. You're not getting bike fixes and feeds in the same way. And you're not getting feeds and people just going straight through all in the same. So my, my question, Zach, is are we now, do we know, or are we going to have a rule change where you can turn around before the end of the, uh, end of the, the, the second entrance and then go back and Elizabeth. It happened in the U23 women's race. Okay. Uh, the leader gets a, well, she has a technical problem and she misses her pit crew uh, and has to like hop off, run back. So she's well, but she was already in the pit. In, okay. She was at the exit of the pit and had completely missed her crew. And so she yeah. then has to like come running backwards in the pit. So not quite what you're describing, but yeah. like Good. there okay. are some uh, thing, things to be ironed out or some interesting questions that remain um, as to how this evolution will happen, I think. I mean, to answer your question, Bill, I think when it's going to happen is when a rider does it, <laughs> right. then they'll add more redlining to the the rules, misspelling words and putting things very in. But it that just seems like the kind of thing where someone's going to do it and they're going to be like, oh, I guess we forgot to copy that part of the cyclocross rule. Yeah. And it's also going to be, it's like, well, what happens then? Because you have all of these things that we've dealt with in cyclocross for years that now come into play. What happens when the feed pit is first what happens when it's happening two minutes into a race and there's a huge bottleneck and you want to get through it and you go through the feed zone. I didn't see anything in the rule that said you had to take a feed. So can you just fly through there? Do you have to like put a foot down? What's the rule? What do you know? That's, that's where I see the, the things that we're going to see where people are just going to go to every 
they're going to find the way that's fastest. And if there's no rule saying that they don't have to take a feed or they don't have to change a bike, then we're going to see that happening. I've got a segue. <laughs> Hopefully this works. I mean, so basically what you're saying is that mountain biking, at least in this one aspect, has become gravel. And part of the beauty of gravel not making rules is all we talked about was gravel for five years. Like every single race was a controversy. Uh, so maybe this is what they understand. Uh, but I noticed that uh, Luca Schwartzbauer and uh, his teammate have copied the gravel approach of just completely losing the vowels from their team name. And that's my segue. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love it. And, and if we're going to go off on these tangents, I do want to circle back to the podium celebration for Puck, just so we can put a, you know, a pin on, on, on that race and, and you, and I think with Elizabeth also, we're, we're looking up the drinking ages in check because she had, not only did she just go ham on her own bottle of champagne but pauline was so impressed by this she was like here you want more jokingly and pug was like heck yeah let's do it took that bottle and and down half of that one as well it was like as impressive as her racing was that was like just god level on podium celebrations and to clarify what y'all were talking about you have to be 18 years old in the Czech Republic to buy alcohol. However, there is no drinking age. So as long as you're not purchasing it, you can be any age to drink. So she was, she was okay. She's fine in pretty much all of Europe. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. <laughs> what do we need to say? <laughs> what do we need to say about this, about this men's race? I'll jump right now. I mentioned uh, Luca Schwartzbauer, and I think that last year, I, I, I there was the, I, there was one race. I mean, he won the short track, but I think there was another race where he kind of realized it was almost like the uh, early break of the the road race where you get in the early break, and he realized that he could uh, do that. But he lasted a lot longer. It seems like he's definitely made some strides in terms of the depth of his fitness because he. You know, he went after it in the first lap and he was he was in the mix throughout. I mean, up to and including um, Elizabeth, you covered the rock garden so well. And the thing that came to my mind was he actually kind of created the race and basically ended Dino's chance at winning the race because I think it was uh, Pitters, Dubois and then Schwartzbauer and Schwartzbauer just biffed it and then matthias lukager biffed it and then nino biffed it and everyone behind him just stacked up and it's a little bit tougher to kind of let that space go when it's a big group or whatever but we we kind of saw that so uh lucas schwartzbauer is my guy for kind of making the race uh early on i think that uh to, to get things started here yeah and i mean i think you know this is another one of those kind of horses for courses moments too to kind of go back to what bill was was talking about in w the way that nova Mestis courses versus some of the more alpine ones is that he's a super powerful rider i mean he's you look at at his his sort of physique compared to some of the others and he is he would look uh appropriately sized amongst track sprinters um and and he's able to use that power. But I think, you know, the, you're right, Zach, it didn't fade as quickly. You know, he was able to to translate that power over a, a much greater 
uh, length of the course and, you know, ultimately finishing quite well along with his uh, his teammate when they, they had a little, little party in fifth and sixth there going up the uh, the whoop wall together. Um, but, yeah, I think that's – it's good to see because I think he was kind of – you know, he's been an up and coming racer for the last couple of seasons. Um, and but it seemed like uh, maybe he would you know, sort of get in over his head a little bit when it came to the Olympic distance. And, I, you know, I think he played he played him his own cards better this time than we've seen him do in, in a lot of the Olympic distance races. So I had other people comment, uh, this was just people in general, and they were like, well, if uh, Tom Pidcock can just barely beat Josh Dubow, what does that say about Tom Pidcock? Is he not very good this year? And I, I feel like you guys have already come. This was calm people. Uh, this was casual observers of, of, of the mountain biking. And I, I pointed out that, you know, I think that you accidentally pointed out that he did a big train ride. Also, the classics just happen. The tour's going to happen. I, I was like, I'd be a little bit more concerned if Tom Pickock was like, you know what? In early May, I'm going to be on my my top form. So I fun, random uh, Pickock observation, because I think people are expecting, you know, Bill, I think you made the point that he might be the best mountain biker in the world right now. I don't know. Um, and so I think we kind of expected him to, to race really well. Uh, but Elizabeth, lap four kind of an adventure for uh, for mr pidcock oh yeah lab, is lab four when when he he takes the little flyer on the route or is that uh, later? he took a couple i mean so he biffed it on the rock garden. yes he biffed like, it on the rock i was garden. i was holding my breath every lap after that being like oh here comes the rock garden because he was uh but i will say like a true cyclocross racer he stuck to his line he didn't he didn't try to change it up and maybe to his credit it might have been worse if he tried to take the dubal line but yes he also i think definitely ate I think it that's yeah that's then then that's maybe a couple laps later where he he uh narrowly avoids running into a tree um and no it was the same lap oh it he, is the he same crushed lap. twice in the oh, same i i have my notes I, I take cope i i well, usually do but reports, this time i i have i have mere highlights um okay but but yeah so i think uh you know it's <laughs> so I do want to go back to what you said a minute ago, though, which is that I think, you know, it's a little bit ridiculous to say that Pickcock didn't have a great race because uh, <laughs> I think he really did. And, you know, especially in the context of everything else he's doing this season. Um, and, you know, he's still 23 seconds in front of Nino Schurter. I think the storyline is Josh Dubow having an incredible race, um, more so than Pidcock having like a very fine race. Um, but but yeah, Pidcock definitely has has some some little technical foibles, as it were. Um and but you're right, he recovers quickly, um, as an any good cyclocross racer does. Uh you know, the difference between amateurs and pros in cyclocross is how quickly they recover from mistakes. Uh, and and so notably, though, Joshua Dubow, also a very good cyclocross racer, former French uh, cyclocross champion and, uh, and and very good. The Go back and watch the 2023 French men's 
championship cyclocross race if you haven't watched it. Side note. Anyway, I'm way bird walking. So the, the, a couple things about Pitcock, not a stranger to, to crashing. And, and and recovering. So I, I think he's he's a guy who has really good technical skills, but also likes to push it as far as absolute possible. And I think has that confidence knowing that he can go down and get back up as long as his bike still works and, and finish. Uh, I, I will say in the past when uh, he had no loyalty towards his bike, uh, that he was more than happy to blame it. Uh, that that was not the, the case this year. It was the, quite the opposite where it was a, a great unveiling of this new Pinarello mountain bike that he was able to do a, a Vanderpool-esque reveal at the finish line for all of the photographers so you know great day for Pinarello and then you talk about Josh Dubow who wonderful race and it it really was and you talked about it Zach you know Pitcock attacked at that same thing and that was like all Dubow had you you just saw you just saw him deflate there and then and that that gap just just grew at, at the end but still just amazing race and I think for this new rock rider racing team, huge, huge day to have him in second place, especially since he wasn't the guy, you know, Maxime Murat is the guy on that team. And now, now they might have a new guy. So that that's, it's really interesting and just a, a great result. Great way to, to debut your team with a, with a world cup podium. I mean, you really can't, can't complain about that at all. Also notably Pidcock's bike, twice the price of Josh Dubose bike. Like Rock Rider is is a, a consumer brand. It is that's like roughly a five thousand dollar bike. Pidcock's bike base price starts at over ten thousand dollars. So I think this is like again, I don't know why I'm in like deep tech corner tonight, but like this is a significant thing, I think. And you know, and then like on top of that, Ford is the title sponsor of the team. Like, that's kind of a big deal, too. Like, this is, it's been a while since there's been, you know, a major car company like that. You know, I don't know, Volvo is the only other mountain bike team I can think of that comes to mind, and that's been a while. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a, a huge, huge for a, a small and new team to have this kind of a, a, a first day out. Are you saying he's the new people's champ? He just might be. Always need a good people's champ. I love it. Um, so to get a little meta. I, I, I just have to throw in here, not not to like, but actually, but the Ineos Grenadier is a SUV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> but I still with you with the Ford. <laughs> but like, yeah. Ford is still more working. It is. It is. Well, it, it's, it's, it's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Ineos Grenadier, I think, is a $100,000 SUV. So there you go. Perfect. Perfect analogy. I, am, I, I retract my earlier statement. <laughs> so to get a little meta... Was doing my preview, and you know, kind of last year we saw different names, we saw new names uh, coming out of nowhere. At you know times, we saw like Brideau won uh, a couple of races, Karad won two races. I think I think we had six different winners. I think like outside, you know, we have Pitcock, uh, be inter- Vanderpool. Very interesting to see how uh, you know he'll do against Pitcock in in mountain biking. Hopefully, they'll both race against one another. Nino, I. 
is pulling the LeBron James, uh, you know, showing LeBron James that, hey, hey, don't worry, old man, you can still do this. So I think, you know, maybe he he borrowed a little page from that playbook. Um, but it seems like there's this, you know, and Flukager still pretty good, but it seems like there's this opening for other riders to step up and next generation. There's not like, you know, um, the Chilean, can you say the name? Elizabeth? Yeah. So, you know, he won everything. He was the superstar, right? But still outside the top 20, you know, young, young superstar not stepping in and making a big splash or whatever. So it just seems like, and it makes it super interesting is you don't know what's going to happen in these elite men's races. I mean, I think we all hope that Nino breaks the record. I think that's something we watching. Uh, dude's 37. He just turned 37. Big openings. Uh, big opportunities for growth in the elite men's field, I feel like, right now. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I and mean, that's kind of like, I think, with Pitcock winning, it sort of, it, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I don't want to, these are all amazing athletes, world class, but it's you, you sort of compare disciplines. Is this men's mountain biking field as strong as it once was? You know, I, I, I argued not two, three years ago that the men's field, same with the women's, had the top cycling athletes in the world like you could put them in other disciplines and they were going to do awesome and this is you know we saw it with Vanderpool some but now with Pitcock as well that they can come in here and and kind of rule you maybe maybe that level isn't where it once was but it's still amazing and it's also it's Nova Mesto where all of these riders all that are from other disciplines always do well you have other riders who are great climbers Vlad Daskalou comes to mind he was what 15th in this race you know we we saw him like fighting for podiums and wins all all last season so who knows you know lenser hide is gonna be awesome that's another one to to look forward to next one uh, yeah exactly okay yeah it's kind of a bummer we don't have albstadt to turn around it's kind of a bu- kind of a bummer kind of a bummer you like that double to to get the which is normally started, how it so. used to always work it would just come in it, there were two week stints you you know have two race weekends in a row take a month off come back to two that that's how the world cup season used to go maybe it's still well just scheduling always always gets a little weird uh all right i'm gonna close my last couple notes here just to throw in which i forgot one uh talking about the broadcast the big famous climb that we all look forward to horrible scouting and blocking on that camera position where they didn't know that there were going to be people standing in front of them with their phones above their head so you couldn't even get the shot so bad get bad camera position there points off uh second thing the one thing which we didn't point out one for this whole season and two for the dutch in particular this is an olympics year with Puck doing what she's doing, she's helping out Ann Tauber, Terpstra, all Femme, all of these other riders who are doing really well. They're in a super position to get three spots for the Olympics, which is pretty darn cool. Any other closing thoughts, y'all? No, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That was also one in my notes that, you know, is is the Dutch women's mountain bike squad for 2024 the U.S. Tokyo women's squad? Is it the same dynamic? Because, you know, it, it was I I did I was kind of surprised to see Femme uh, on the start list. I knew Puck would be there, but I was kind of surprised to see Femme. And 
it makes perfect sense for the Olympic qualifying. I mean, she had a great start, too, and, and actually a pretty decent finish, um, like finished in the top 20. Uh, but I knowing that the the Olympic points year is in play and, you know, and I think, too, like you see Pauline and, and Luana's performance as well um, being motivated. I mean, I think they are going to be extra motivated and they have lean burkier stepping up now into the elites as well so they're the french are going to be super super motivated because it's a home olympics for them well and, and a rider we didn't even talk about because i don't think she was feeling well and didn't perform like we're used to seeing her sailing del carmen alvarado was in yep. this race you know finished 56 but you know there's another dutch woman that i think we can keep our eyes on in, in these future races, we may be, who knows, we may be looking at the Dutch dominance in mountain biking, much like we do in, in cyclocross as well. What a world. My closing thoughts. Uh, yeah. I want to give a shout out to Elizabeth, who is now our chief campy 1970s movie correspondent. Uh, <laughs> If you haven't already done it, she wrote a phenomenal piece with phenomenal photographs over at Cycling Weekly about the little 500. Um, but Elizabeth, the thing, go read it. It's so good. Like I, I opened it at work and I was like, oh, right. This is this is Elizabeth. I have to read this after work because I'm going to get fired because it was just so in-depth and so good. Uh, but Elizabeth, I was really proud of you. Like a true mountain bike media pit member. Well, actually a mountain bike person. I don't think the rest of us ride. You went to Brown County. I did. Uh, during your trip, you went to, to tell anyone, you know, you'd be like, hey, I'm going to this killer mountain bike place in Indiana. They're like, you're insane. I have no idea what you're talking about. So, Elizabeth, give me a review of Brown County because I've ridden there a number of times. It's amazing. It's a gem. Wonderful place to ride bikes. It was fantastic. Um, you know, it was uh, not part of, of what I was writing uh, for in, in Cycling Weekly, so it's not part of the story. But uh, they set me up with a tour guide who took me around. So I got to ride with a bunch of locals and the trails were phenomenal. Um, it was it was really fantastic. It had been on my list um, as somebody who r regularly road trips between Pennsylvania and Nebraska. Um, it's kind of halfway, but I've never gone off course a little bit to stop. Um so had some flair of Bentonville to it, had some flair of the Wachita Trails in southern Arkansas, which are also a, a true gem. Go there sometime. Bentonville is a, a, is mountain bike Disneyland, but Wachita is like fantastic backcountry. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of fun, like really, really fun, well-built trails um, just outside of Bloomington, Indiana. Um Really a delight. Can't wait to go back. Yeah, it's got great flow. But if you're like, oh, Bentonville's not technical enough for me. There, there's technicals. So there is. Technical. <laughs> yeah, there were some I really, really some technical stuff. We, I went on it and I was like, I'm turning around. <laughs> like there's true like black diamond stuff yeah. there. Um, but there's also some like great climbs that are technical and hard. So if you want like, it just has everything. It's a wonderful place. Like you should go. I used to go there every Memorial Day weekend. Absolutely love it. And I was so proud and happy that you got to go, got to go ride. Not proud, but jealous, jealous, proud and happy that you got to go ride. Yeah, it was, it was a real treat. And, and, and thanks for the kind words about the story. It was really a blast to write going to the little 500, getting a freelance assignment to go to the little 500 was like a dream come true. Um, so I also have to put in the plug that like, go do that. If you like mountain biking, pack up your mountain bike, take a road trip or a plane, 
to Indiana in late April. The weather was gorgeous. You can ride mountain bikes and then you get to see like the coolest, weirdest, loudest, most eclectically different bike race of all time. Um, yeah, it's it was a treat. Amazing. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. We, we did it. We came back, did some mountain biking. I um, Hopefully we'll get a Bodhi on the next one when we uh, talk about Lenzerheide. And we'll uh, see you for that. 